0: Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama of four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey, guys. Today, I'm here with Stephanie. Stephanie Skrzowski is the founder and CEO of 100 Degrees Consulting, which helps purpose-driven leaders better understand and use their financials to make smart decisions for their organization so they can do more and serve more. She is the creator of Master Your Nonprofit Numbers, an online course in financial management for nonprofit leaders. When she's not crunching the numbers in Excel, you can find her hiking and traveling the world with her husband and two-year-old daughter. I actually went to school for financial information and analysis. I did not finish that degree and (laughs) have no interest in going back to finish it. (laughs) Um, It just was not my thing. So I I know how much goes into that. So I give full props to you. (laughs) for crunching all the numbers in Excel. So Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. So I would love to have you take us back to the first time you can remember stretching outside your comfort zone. When you applied, you talked about how that's, that's what you've been doing for a long time. And I'd love to have you take us back to that first time you can remember where you had to stretch outside your comfort zone.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, so, so I am a super type A and I kind of planned my life when I was like 12 years old. Um, and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer after I had visited a courtroom on a field trip. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so I sort of planned my, you know, my career, um, and my college education and everything around wanting to be a lawyer. And, I, um, I did all the right things. I got a job at this massive law firm in New York city right after college. And it was probably like 10 months into it that I was like, "Nope, this is not for me. Just like you said, numbers, you didn't finish that degree. I was like, I do not want this life. I do not want to be a lawyer, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I don't really give up on things easily. I'm very Mm -hmm. stubborn. And I just like, push through. Like if I said, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a lawyer. Right. Damn it. Like no matter if I hate my life. So I, I kept pushing through and I got all the way, like I took the LSAT and it was there that I, I didn't do very well. And like, I am normally a pretty good test taker. And so when I felt like I kind of failed the LSAT, I was like, okay. Um, and so it's not like a super exciting or glamorous being outside of your comfort zone. But for me, being able to like close the door on going to law school, on being a lawyer after I had literally been thinking about it and planning it for over 10 years, um, was like way outside of my comfort zone. because like I will finish something, even if it makes me miserable, just so I can check it off the list. Um, So I would say that was like really the first time that I was like, okay, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel comfortable to me at all, but like I have to close the door and say no to this plan and try and figure out what the next step looks like.
0: Yeah. I'm type A too. And you're describing me where I like get a, a goal in mind and I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And it's taken out, I mean, I flunked out of college, not because I, I realized I should not be an accountant or work in the finances at all. It was, I got into a really bad relationship. So I think if I hadn't gotten to that relationship, I would have finished and gone into accounting because that's what I wanted to do and not even been like, oh, that's really not my interest. I mean, at 33, or I'm almost 33, I'm now saying I'm 33 because it's less than two months. So I'm just rounding <laughs> up. Um <laughs> where I'm at now, I just discovered what I wanted to do like two years ago, and you know it's it's kind of crazy. But I understand where you're coming from. Sometimes we have to say this really isn't for me. This isn't what I want to do. So, what happened after law school? So
1: after, well, after I realized I didn't want to go to law right. school, I was I was like feeling really lost, and that didn't feel normal for me. Like I've never. I had never really felt lost. I always knew what I wanted to do. And so I started exploring different like job options and I've got, I think I still have them like notebooks upon notebooks of (laughs) brainstorming, like what might I want to do? Maybe I want to open a spa. Like, I don't know where these ideas came from, but, um, but I eventually landed with a nonprofit organization. Um, one of the partners at the law firm that I was working with, um, had been, had founded this organization. And so I eventually landed there, um, after about a year of doing corporate meeting planning. Like Mm -hmm. I, I'm not exactly sure what made me think that was a good idea. I was like, I'm organized. I think maybe that'd be fun. Um, so after a year of, you know, finding myself there, I landed at this nonprofit and I finally felt some sort of connection, like it's, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, I feel like you just sort of figured out a few years ago what you really wanted to do. And I'm sure you feel that same way, that same sort of like innate connection to what you're doing. And so I just felt that at the nonprofit. And so it was there that, um, I like the numbers just really clicked and I kind of learned the bookkeeping and accounting and financial reporting, um, as I went and, um, yeah, it just it just really clicked for me, and I was like, okay, I think this is it. This is what I want to do. And that organization was helping farmers in Afghanistan rebuild their farm-based businesses after their land had been destroyed because they've been like in war for thirty years, wow. in di- you know, in different in different ways. Um, and so, helping these families rebuild their farm businesses so that they could earn you know earn an income for their family. And so, I was like, okay, there's this is it. This is it. So doing the finance piece, um, which I really, I've always liked math, but didn't go to college for math. Cause I was like, what are you going to do with that? Be a math right. teacher? Like, <laughs> no. um, and so connecting that side of things with something, you know, something I was good at with this like purpose driven organization, helping, you know, helping people somewhere in the world just felt really good. And so ever since then, um, I have been working in nonprofits and then started my business a few years ago
0: how did working in the nonprofit world stretch you outside your comfort zone? What were some examples of that? Well, I think,
1: um, I mean, there's a couple that like super concrete. I mean, going to Afghanistan, um, was like way beyond my comfort zone. Um, I hadn't traveled, I traveled outside of the country for the first time when I was like 21 doing a study abroad in London. And so, you know, going from the U S to London, there's not really a big stretch there. but that was kind of all the travel I had done, mostly Western Europe. And then I went to Afghanistan for the first time when I was like 23, I think all by myself, um, flew from New York to Dubai and then Dubai to Kabul, Afghanistan, and, um, had basically like no instructions when I arrived. And so I'm like, you know, an American Western young woman, um, in this country flying with basically a plane full of Afghan men like I was pretty much the only Westerner and the only um, woman on the plane and so just like landing there and not knowing what to do and there was no electricity in the airport and so like suitcases were just being thrown across the airport onto this big pile and I just had to go find mine and then like you know there were uh, several security checkpoints to even get outside of the airport and um, I mean, that was so I think about it now, like over ten years later, and I'm like, I kind of can't believe I did that and thinking mm-hmm. about like my daughter in twenty years doing something similar I' right. Um, so I think that, you know, experiences like that, and then going out into the field into, um, little tiny villages outside of the capital city and just sitting on the ground with people who don't speak the same language. I and mean, we can't even really say hello to each other. Um, that is like, for me, it was really, um, like a life changing experience for sure. Uh, and so far outside of my comfort zone, but you just, what I've learned is you just have to sort of be flexible and be adaptable when you are in. In those really uncomfortable situations. Um, and so that I think, you know, is, has really served me, especially owning a business, too. I mean, being able to be flexible and adaptable. Um, and I think working for to go back to your question, working for a nonprofit, the other things stretching me outside of my comfort zone, In nonprofits, like there are very few resources. And so you have to be ready to kind of jump in and learn and do everything. Um, if you talk to anybody that works in a the nonprofit, they're like, yeah, you have to wear all the hats. And it can be like super uncomfortable if you're responsible for like checking people in at the fundraising gala. If you're an introvert like me and don't really like talking to people. Introvert
0: here. Yes, I understand. (laughs) That's
1: like so far out of my comfort zone. Um, But you just kind of have to have to do it and put on that extrovert face. And um, but I think it's, you know, that sort of lack of resources and kind of being, you know, having to do a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, I I, people are like, Well, you're an introvert, Megan. How come you do these Facebook lives and you do this podcast? Like, it took years for me to build up to that. Like, I remember the first time I made a video to share on Facebook. I thought it was gonna throw up all over the place. Like it was awful.
1: I know. It's scary to put yourself out there. I'm still scared to like post to LinkedIn. Like it's (laughs) yeah, it's really scary.
0: (laughs) I just don't post to LinkedIn. I'm so awful with it. I probably have like five connection requests. I'm like, I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't know what to share. Like I love Facebook's my platform. Like I was an early adapter of Facebook. So it doesn't matter what Facebook does. I'm like, yes, Facebook, I still love you. It's okay. Now, if they get rid of the news feed, I'm going to be really upset. Like I'm just putting that out there. because <laughs> there's rumors about that. But yeah, I understand being an introvert having to get out of your comfort zone and work up to that, because like the first time that somebody's asking you to do something where you have to deal with a lot of people, you're like, "What? Why?" So did you find that you also have built up so that you're more comfortable with dealing with people in that way?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I still get sweaty and anxious when it comes to like things like that. And you know, I, I definitely have though. And I'm thinking too, I, um, thinking about presenting the financials to a board of directors for the first time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Because it's like, you have to, I felt like I had to know every single number and the like detail behind the number, um, in the, you know, in the balance every line on the balance sheet and the P and L. And it's, it was really scary. And, but I have had, to just like suck it up. And it's okay if you don't know the answer and it's okay to say like, I don't know, I will get back to you. Um, But for me to not like, you know, to stand up and not be able to be perfect, it was like really, really scary. Um, And, and also to put on the sort of extrovert face and just, you know, stand up and be really confident and talk about the numbers. But yeah, over time it's, I've grown a little bit, I think, I hope. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I remember the first time, sorry, I'm a speaker. And I remember the first time I spoke and I was so nervous. And I mean, afterwards people were like, you did such a good job. That was so amazing. And I was like, I thought I was dying a little bit inside doing this. Like, but now I can speak in front of people and I'm still nervous. Like you said, still anxious, still nervous, but it's a lot better. Where it's not, I can't hear my voice shake. And luckily the first time I spoke, I was telling my story of domestic violence. So like my voice shaking seemed like it was emotion and not nerves at the same time. (laughs) Um, So do you still work in the nonprofit space?
1: So my company now, yes, um, I would say 60% of our clients are nonprofits because that was really where I spent like 10 years, the majority of my career. Um, and so, yeah, so now we work sort we're sort of like an outsourced CFO um, for nonprofits. So 60% of our clients are nonprofits and then the other 40% are
0: um, like purpose-driven businesses. In case anybody listening has a nonprofit or something that qualifies. That's why. That's why I asked. Um, so you went for the non-profit st- space. You were in Afghanistan, which, to me, when you're telling this, I'm like, dangerous, dangerous to be there by yourself as a woman, and not just a woman, but American woman, and probably not even dressed the way that Afghanistan people would expect a woman to be dressed, either.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely. Um I definitely wore clothes that would help me blend in a little bit more. I wore the headscarf um, oh, always okay. out public. Yeah. Um, just as, you know, just to be respectful and right. made sure I wore like sort of like loose fitting long sleeve tunics with long pants. And um, yeah, so I was very conscious of that because I didn't want to be like rolling right. in and, you know, shorts in a tank top or something that would be just very disrespectful.
0: <laughs> At least they're a lot smarter than some people who go to these other countries and don't actually do their research and then they show up in like Egypt in shorts and a t-shirt and Egypt is also very yes. much similar with the headscarves and women generally being unless you're like in the city generally being covered up, you know, and, and people need to know as if you're traveling, you should really do the research on the place you're going so that you can be respectful of their traditions because Afghanistan, dangerous, probably would have been more dangerous had you not wore those clothings because then you would have stuck out like a sore thumb.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the organization I worked for was very, um, grassroots and, you know, there were a lot of bigger NGOs that were doing work there that would travel in like armed, you know, armed cars and kind of like a big motorcade. And that definitely draws attention. We were rolling around in like battered Toyota Corollas. And so we kind of like blended in and that was all part of, you know, that was intentional. Um, and so, yeah, I mean the, whatever you can do to kind of, just blend in was
0: it, it served me well because I made it out unscathed many times so take us to where the discomfort happened and, and and you having a stretch outside your comfort zone when you started your own business because as somebody who's had my own business it is not easy and it is scary to put yourself out there in that manner
1: Yeah. And you know, three plus almost four years later, like it's still really scary. It, I mean, there are things that come up probably every couple months that are new and scary. And I think that's the thing about being an entrepreneur and owning a business is that there will always be something new. You're always paving your own way. And so there's always going to be something new and scary. Um, you know, when I first started my business, I was, um, I had found out, let's see, I'd well, I would okay. Back it up. Actually, when I first started the business, I was in a place in my life where I had left the nonprofit world. I we had been sort of stuck in this infertility hell for three plus years, and um, nothing was really working. I had taken a job um, with a big pay cut that I didn't really like, but just because it was less stressful, and we thought maybe that would help with trying to have a baby. And so that's when I was like, I really miss the nonprofit space. I want to start this this consulting business. And so um, or just in like a super crappy part of place in my life. But then, um, you know, it, it sort of started started um, catching on and I started, you know, sending out emails to potential clients and um, was able to land a couple. Uh, But the really, the scariest part, I was doing that simultaneously working this job that I didn't really love. Um, But the scariest part was stepping away from that job entirely. Mm -hmm. I had finally gotten pregnant. So I was about six months pregnant when I stepped away from, um, from the job. And I think the scariest part was like, oh my God, money. Like I have a baby coming in three months and like, it does this thing have legs. Is it going to make me enough money to be able to do what we need to do and um, provide for my family? And obviously, I, like, l- luckily I have a husband who also has a job and benefits and things. So it was a little bit less of a risk, but I mean, that was terrifying to take that leap because I'm not a risk taker at all. I am a rule follower to the T. So, <laughs> oh my God. So it was really scary. Um, so I think that was like step number. Just being able to take that leap was terrifying. I had a good business coach who really helped give me the confidence. Which um, she's sort of a business and life coach that I would highly recommend. If you know, if people are sort of going through something, well, tell us the name. Yeah. So her name is Cheryl Ann Skolnicki, and um, I can send you like her link so that her last name's kind of funny to spell. But um, she, I've, I've, I'm still working with her four years later. Um, and she really helped to guide me through that big transition. And I think that's life coaches are amazing to help through big transitions mm-hmm. like that. Um, cause my husband can only listen to me like blabbering on so much, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, ever since then, it's like every month there's something challenging to deal with. Like I hadn't gotten paid from a client for like five months and I was too much of a wimp to like really push it with them or stop working. And then I eventually ended up not collecting that money at all. And that was a lot of money that I lost and a huge lesson learned for me. I found that like the biggest lessons are also the most expensive, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but it's like, there's always something new with being an entrepreneur and owning a business and being, I, I mean, being outside of my comfort zone, going back to that sort of theme. And I felt very uncomfortable to ask this client, like, Hey, you guys owe me for five months of invoices because I was like, I don't want to bother them. You know, right. I, whew, but you know, you have to do it. And I've, I've learned that, you know, I've got to sort of stand up for myself and my business and, but it can be really difficult, really challenging.
0: Yeah, you talk about expensive lessons. When I flunked out of college, I owe fifty thousand dollars for that, that lesson. And so that was an expensive lesson. Now my husband was like, How about we not do that again? Like, that'd be <laughs> good. you know now that you're back in school, let's not rack up those student loan debts. That's be awesome. And I'm like, All right, I won't, I promise. <laughs>
1: Yep. The expensive lessons, I feel like those are the ones that really sink in.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now, you know, I'm more serious about school. I'm also in a very healthy relationship, but you know, I try to tell people I was trying to do it all. I was trying to be a single mom and work full time and go to school full time, but also have a social life. And then of course, I got into the terrible relationship, but you can't do all the things like you have not all at once. And so they need there needed to be like some sort of schedule and proportional like fun and that didn't happen and so it was a very valuable lesson now I'm very good at scheduling things out and being like, "All right, I can take on like one girl's night a week, and anything more than that, I can't keep up with my schoolwork and you know being very intentional about that so with running this business, what kind of lessons have you learned about? creating a good schedule and time management skills. Yeah,
1: that's a great question and something I also learned in the beginning just like you said. Like I you can have it all, but you can't have it all at like 100%. Like I can't simultaneously run a business and be a stay-at-home mom full-time. Like And, you know, just like you said, like be a super awesome friend and go out every week and have weekly, like you just can't do it all. Um, And so I have, you know, it's not perfect and it's always changing. And now, today, when my daughter is two and a half, looks very different from when she was six months old. Um, But, you know, I think what I have, the balance I've kind of struck is that I've got three days um, of full day childcare. So my daughter, um, her grandparents come over. Um, you know, my in-laws and my mom and my sister, um, kind of all take a day of the week and then I have two days with her. And so on those days, I don't really work as much and I am working during nap time basically busier weeks, maybe I'm, you know, firing up the laptop after she goes to bed. But I think that coming up with that balance that, um, that works for me. Um, and I think it's also a lot of planning. I feel like I'm always like plan. Oh my gosh. I'm just always planning. And so like Sunday night or sometimes, sometimes on Saturday, I'll come up with my to-do list for the, um, for the upcoming weeks so that those three days that I do have childcare, like I got to maximize that time. Um, cause I found myself if I don't plan, um, you know, my in-laws are here like playing with my daughter and I'm just sitting like surfing the internet. I'm like, wait a second, this, like right. this is not productive. And so, you know, sometimes it's hard because you don't have like a ton of flexibility. I mean, you, you've got more kids than I do. Um, <laughs> so you know, like, you know, it doesn't always go according to plan or like your kids are sick or whatever. But I think that, you know, coming up with a set schedule, um, every week was really, really helpful for me. Um, in the beginning I had like kind of sporadic childcare and I was like, some days I have, you know, childcare on Mondays and some days it's Thursdays. And like, that did not work for me. I right. need like that, you know, a set period. And then I think just sort of planning out my week in advance and knowing what I'm going to fill the different, you know, chunks with is, is the only way that I can survive.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you on that. I create a schedule every single week, so that I know when I can get stuff done and what I can do. And like you said, sometimes kids get sick or sometimes like I have to take my daughter to get blood work this week. And you know, all these things that come up where you're like, oh, dang it. But I always used to tell my clients when I was coaching is like, leave some wiggle room. Like don't over schedule yourself where you're like, oh my gosh, a kid got sick and now I can't work. And I don't know what to do. And I like how you said that, you know, you can't give a hundred percent to everything. Somebody once described it like a pie and yes. you decide how much of that pie goes to different parts, but you only have this pie. You don't have like 10 pies. You have one yeah. pie.
1: <laughs> yes. I I I recently wrote a blog post on that, like literally that exact thing. Because that's that's exactly right. And like my pie when my daughter was, you know, the first year of her life, my pie was like 50% on the business and 50% on my daughter. And, you know, maybe my husband got like this tiny little sliver and my <laughs> right. friends got like nothing. But now things are, you know, things have like different uh, different sizes of the, of the pie. Um, and that's totally true. And I think that it changes all the time and you just have to be willing to kind of go with it. You know, like it's not going to look the same. Your life is not going to look the same now as it does in six months. And Mm
0: -hmm. as long as
1: you're kind of flexible to just roll with it, I think that, um, yeah, that has served me well, I'll say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Flexibility is super important because things change all. I'm a military spouse and, and things change in my life all the time. You know, I'm just like, nothing has got, I mean, since my husband left in November, nothing has gone as planned at all. Like the only thing that went as planned is I got into the University of Connecticut, which was my school, like that was my goal up there. But other than that, nothing. And if I was not as flexible as I am, we would be in a really bad place because I was willing to not only do the things and and adjust, but I also took care of my mental health so that I can, you know, be better and do better and handle things better. But if I wasn't flexible and I stuck with like, this is how things have to be, well, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. I probably would have had a complete like mental breakdown.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean that like, especially the military stuff, like that is so far out of your control. Like you yeah. can, I mean, it is, that is what it is. So yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, we would be all having meltdowns if we couldn't be flexible.
0: Absolutely. So, how has you've talked about your daughter a couple times? How has being a parent stretched you outside your comfort zone? Because I've been a parent for a long time. So, I think I've forgotten like in the beginning stages at this point. Now we're in like discomfort in a different way. I have a 16 year old, so teenage hormones. And then my littles are getting bigger. You know, they're like going to be 10 and eight and eight um, this year. So, like, it's going to be a little different. But those first couple years can be trial for new parents.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, starting from day one, like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Like I babysat growing up. So I wasn't like unfamiliar with children. I felt, I feel very comfortable around kids. So I'm not one of those um, moms. I know some moms are like, I don't think I've ever held a baby before. It wasn't, wasn't that, but it's still like, this is your kid. They're like a part of you. Like, you know, they're a part of your heart. And so you just want to do what is best for them. And I think, you know, the one thing I didn't really overwhelm myself with too much, like, parenting books or advice or anything. I just kind of figured it out, my husband and I together. But, um, you know, it's always like, I mean, she's only two. She's in like a little, you know, little preschool program for two-year-olds, but I'm already like, what about her education? Like, do I need to be thinking about that right now? What's she going to do when she's four? When should she go into kindergarten? And I think that like, just, always having these decisions that you have to make for the well-being of someone else, not just taking care of yourself. I feel like I've taken care of myself from a very young age, but, um, but making decisions that are going to impact the rest of her life. Like that's a lot of pressure, Mm -hmm. like a lot. And, um, you know, so I think that that is like, like I said, outside of my comfort zone because I've, you know, I've been like good at taking care of myself, but thinking about having to do that for somebody else and knowing that my decisions are going to impact her life is like, it's pretty scary. Um, but you know, luckily she's been like quite healthy. She doesn't, she hasn't gotten sick too much. So I haven't been like, you know having to call the doctor at all hours of the night that's because like,
0: that- she's in a preschool program she's like building up that immune system i always tell people exactly. let your kids don't keep them in a bubble let them play oh they yeah build up their immune system exactly lick that shopping cart handle, right? dear. <laughs> <laughs> don't over sanitize your kids like it's okay if they're stuffing things in their mouths that they're not supposed to take it away but like don't freak out because germs are not bad. It builds our immune system.
1: I am totally on board with that. Yeah. It's like you try for like the first like couple of months to make sure that everything is perfect. And then, you know, my dog's like licking her mouth and I'm like, okay, well,
0: it is what it is. <laughs> oh no, definitely. And, um, you know, actually I've, I listened to a health podcast called the model health show, which I'll link up in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out. But he's even talked about that on his show where like, you know, getting outside, letting your kids get dirty. If they eat a little bit of dirt, that's okay. I mean, not like a pail full of dirt, but if they get a little dirt inside, it's okay because it helps build those immune system, letting your kids go outside and be around other people and not freaking out about, yes, of course, when you're baby babies and you know, they're, they, they have a fragile immune system. Maybe that's not the time to like toss them in (laughs) to the deep water. (laughs) But as they grow older, you definitely want to help them build that immune system. My kids—I mean, kids are so dermy—and my my kids, like, are rarely sick. Knock on wood, because like they have a rock star immune system. They're just around it all the time. I'm not over sanitizing them. We don't like go crazy with like everything's got to be sanitized around here. And that's because I don't do that, you know. And and they're allowed to build it up. So that's why your daughter. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is rarely ever sick. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm grateful for that, but that's not, I guess that's not something I would have thought maybe, I, I don't know. I don't think I, if I would have thought like before she was born, I didn't think I would be that mom that's like, yeah, whatever. You lick the shopping cart handle, you'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I, uh, my husband, when we first had our twins, so my older two daughters, most people listening know, are not his biological children. You could, I mean, he will admit to that, but you try to fight him on them not being his children. He was like, no, those are my kids. Um, So (laughs) when we first had the twins, he was like the helicopter dad. Like, I remember like they tried to climb the tree in our backyard and they weren't, I mean, they were like four and he was like, no, they're going to fall and get hurt. I'm like, that's why we have insurance. They're gonna be okay, <laughs> the tree's not that tall. Like, it's not like, you know, they're climbing to the top of a really tall tree. And right. he was just so funny because he was like, they can't do that. No, don't let them do that. And I'm like, you know, I have some experience in this parenting realm and I can tell you they're going to be okay. Exactly. I, and I think
1: that that's like perfect. That like theme, they're going to be okay. Like for the most part, I mean, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves as parents. Like I'm talking about like, why am I thinking about my daughter going to kindergarten when she's two right. and a half right now? Like she's going to be okay. And so I think that like having that constant reminder, they're going to be okay is, uh, is very helpful because we can just put so much pressure on ourselves to like make everything perfect. And it's not going to be.
0: Right. My my middle daughter this weekend was like, "Why do you care so much about our safety?" Because I told her she couldn't wear her roller blades unless she had her helmet on. I was like, "Because I'm your parent and I care and there has to be certain rules. It can't just be a free for all here. Like yeah. we don't need you cracking your head open on the sidewalk." I mean, I really don't want to go to the emergency room today. <laughs> Like, I got other things to do. I can't, I don't have time for that. Right. So how has your marriage, cause people are thinking or listening to this might be thinking, how is your marriage sustained? Like you go, doing all of this from the nonprofits to starting your own business. Cause I hear a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, my marriage is suffering because I'm spending way too much time on my business and I don't know how to do both. Yeah,
1: that is such a good question. And to be honest, there were periods and especially that first year of my business that I wasn't really focusing on my marriage at all. Like I have a very supportive husband. Um, and so he, you know, he was patient with me, but like we were doing our weekly date nights or even monthly date nights. Like, I, you know, we talked talk to each other, but like that was kind of all that we were doing to survive. I was focusing on my business and my baby and that's it. And he totally got the back seat; He got the back burner and, you know, looking back now, I'm like, Oh my God, I feel bad. I was kind of a jerk. But, um, you know, he was, he was there to support me. So we've been together. We met when I was 20. Um, so we've been, together for about 15 years and been married for, it'll be nine years this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've had some ups and downs. I mean, infertility, I mentioned that a little bit, but like going through IVF treatments for four years, like that will take a toll on you. Um, we have lived apart due to jobs. Um, and that took a toll on us. That was probably the hardest thing. Um, I had just gotten a promotion to CFO and he had just gotten a new job in. So we were in at that point, Connecticut and Ohio, and that was really hard. Um, that was probably the worst year of our marriage that we were both like, "Who can't believe we actually came out the other side of that one. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then starting my business and, you know, I feel like starting a business, especially that first year, you just really want to focus on it and you're so excited. It's kind of like a new relationship and you just right. want to put everything into it to get it off the ground and make it successful. And that's honestly what I did. Um, and I also had a newborn at the time. And so, yeah, I just put a hundred percent of my focus on there. And, and, you know, we didn't really talk about it at the time. Like we didn't really talk about the fact that like, all I was doing was working and taking care of our daughter. Um, but he was, you know, he was very supportive and I don't know, maybe he sort of knew that there'd be a light at the end of the tunnel or, you know, (laughs) I, I think our daughter got easier, of course, as they get older and closer to one year old. Um, and so we were able to make it through, but I think now we're in the stage where my business, I've got a couple other people working for me and I've got this, you know, relatively decent schedule going. And so we're able to, actually make time for each other and like talk beyond just like, okay, what time are you going to be home from work? What time is, you know, what do you want to eat for dinner? Um, but it like, it takes a lot of work and I could see how starting a business could just deteriorate a marriage because like, you're just so excited about the business right. and like, oh, the husband, he's been there forever. Like, eh, he's not that exciting <laughs> anymore. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard and it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience and a lot of understanding from both, both people, I think.
0: Yeah. When I first started, when I started my first business at some point in time, my husband said to me, cause I asked him to take on more around the house because I was no longer a stay home mom. I actually had other things going on and he did, but I, that didn't stop how much I was working on my business. And eventually he said to me, he was like, you know, I took up this extra stuff around the house because I really wanted, I knew you had more focus outside the kids in the house. And he's like, but you've now filled up all that time with your business. You're always working on your business. You're not making time for us. You're not making time for me. You're not making time for the kids. He was like, I really need you to reevaluate where you're spending your time because we deserve to have some of that time too. Mm-hmm. I we weren't doing date nights. We weren't doing it. I was like, I we'd be watching TV together and I'd be on my phone, like working on my business. Yeah. yeah. And he eventually was like, he he had enough. And he said to me, He was like, You really I don't want you to quit your business, but you gotta scale back because you you have other responsibilities. He's like, you know, because he is in the military, so he only has so much time to be able to do the things. So I still had to do my my portion of the things and I wasn't doing that. And so he did call me out a little bit and you know, I did, I did scale back and I mean, my business still did well. And then I stopped that business and started another business. And, and then now I shut down that business and go to school full time. So there's, we've had these, these things, but I've, I've gotten to the point now where I know like school cannot be my only focus. Like we have specific times of the day and days like Sundays are my schoolwork days. He knows that like, don't bother me, but Saturdays I don't work on schoolwork at all because it's family day and we do all that. So I think it's a finding that balance and quotation marks that we talked about earlier and deciding where our time's going to go so that we can sustain those relationships. And maybe like in the very beginning you are working a lot, but that can't be forever because a marriage won't sustain that forever.
1: Yeah, totally. And I love that your husband's like, I love that he did call you out because I feel like a lot of, um, you know, in a lot of situations, maybe they wouldn't and they would just be right. like, no, this isn't working for me. And so to be able to at least open that conversation, I think was really important. And my husband's done the same thing. He's like, why are you always on your phone? And I'm like, dude, I'm not just scrolling Instagram. I promise. Like I'm looking yeah. at emails or like, you know, whatever I promise I'm actually doing work. And so I've had to like very consciously put my phone upstairs. If we're going to watch something together, um, not even have it with me. It's too, like, it's too big of a temptation to just like, you know, finish off a couple other emails before I go to bed or whatever. Um, And even if, you know, even if we're just watching something um, on TV together, I feel like it's important to know that like, I am there with him. Like I'm not there with my phone. And um, so, but I love that your husband called you out because I think that that's, I think it could have been easy to just like not call you out and just be like, you know, whatever, this isn't working. So that's awesome.
0: One of his love languages is quality time. So that was definitely, he was not getting that. So he called me out. So Stephanie, as we wrap up the podcast, what is something that you would like to leave the inspired women audience with? It could be something that we've talked about or not talked about. What would you want them to know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about just getting outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, it is always like, I feel like our life is sort of, um, you know, there's ups and downs and there's there's times where we feel like everything is sort of aligned and flowing and things feel really good. And then something is going to shove us outside of our comfort zone. And then we're going to be like, oh my gosh, like life is chaos. I don't know how to figure this all out, but always on the other side of it is a higher high than where you were before. And so I think that it's really, you know, figuring out and having that drive and determination to kind of push you through those challenging times, knowing that something greater is on the other side. And I can just look back, I guess, at my life and think all the times where I was in that lowest of lows, like when my marriage wasn't doing very well because we were living a thousand miles apart. And when we were I understand in- that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Exactly. I'm feeling that right now. Yeah. It's so hard. And, you know, when, um, you know, going through infertility for four years and just feeling, at the lowest, like just so depressed and feeling at the lowest point of my life and having to be in really challenging situations with my business and with clients. On the other side, it's always something better. Like when my husband and I finally moved back together after that year of being apart, like our marriage was at like an all-time high, like things got so much better. After getting through infertility, like I have my daughter now, like that is, that's amazing. And, you know, getting through, um, having really hard conversations with clients and, you know, like that payment issue I was telling you about, um, On the other side of that is now I have the confidence to know that I can have difficult conversations. And so I I just sort of a word of encouragement, like when you are pushed outside of your comfort zone, there's always um, a greater high, a greater reward on the other side that it doesn't feel like it now, but, but it's there. And I think that's something that I have to remind myself of all the time because I'm just, you know, it's hard when you're in the thick of it and you just feel
0: crappy. Um, So yeah, that's what I would say. (laughs) I agree. I'm feeling crappy right now. (laughs) We were talking about stretching out with and being so apart. I mean, that's what my husband and I are doing right now, but the lights at the end of the, the the lights there. And like, he got us a house and I I love the house. I mean, it, it definitely has its flaws, but we got a, we got a really nice house for like a really good price. Like we didn't buy it. We're renting it. And so I'm like looking at that and I'm like, I'm going to have all this room that I have never had. Like in my entire life, I've never lived in a house this big and my kids are going to have their own room and their own space and it's going to be fantastic. And so there is something there, you know, you do bounce back up And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the way back up at this point. That's where I was going with that. And so when we hit those, I loved how you brought that up. When we hit that low, you have nowhere else to go. You can't go any further down. (laughs) Exactly. So you're bound to bounce back up from there.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I know it's, yeah, it's, it's hard when you're in it. It definitely is, but there's always a higher high.
0: (laughs) So true. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on the podcast today.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun.